Not safe for network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. I'm Carl. I did watch the uh, trailer for the movie that's supposedly coming out that's been supposed to come out for over a year now for Free Guy. Yeah, why would that have been delayed? Uh, just <laughs> something happened somewhere and it just kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah. Um, Ryan Ryan Reynolds killed a hooker, so it's <laughs> probably what happened. They had to like cool it off. You gotta let a little time slide in there. Yeah. Somebody got sick somewhere. Somebody fucked a bat, maybe. We don't know. It's entirely possible. <laughs> I would not doubt that somebody fucked a bat somewhere in the world. I doubt that's how it happened. But <laughs> I don't doubt it's been done. Yeah, gross. The newest marketing they had was they uh, got Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi together, both in costume. Taika Waititi is Korg. Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. And by costume for Taika Waititi, you mean he put on a mocap suit? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it was like not top-notch mocap either, I gotta say. Didn't matter, but... Yeah, but I mean, basically it was... Getting some free promotion for free guy. Free guy. Yeah. Hang yourself in by saying free already, huh? <laughs> yeah, kind of. They basically did like a reaction video to uh, the new trailer for Free Guy. So it's like a trailer within a trailer. How's it a trailer within a trailer? Because they're watching the last trailer for tr- Free Guy in the new Free Guy trailer. That's a free guy trailer? I just thought that was like a promotional thing that they did, like an extra, if you will. No, it was actually a promotional thing. Like a They're both in free guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, Taika I know Waititi's. that. That's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like I thought that video was more promotional for the thing, but it I, it didn't feel like a trailer to me. It did feel like they were watching the trailer, considering I've seen that trailer for the last I don't know seven years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any new footage. No, it I think it was there, like, when they re-like, okay, we're actually going to release this to theaters soon. So they started a new campaign on that, and then I think they used the one of the newest trailers for that. How much longer do you think Ryan Reynolds is going to be able to make fun of himself as Deadpool and have it work? Because I did laugh at this one, but I was also remembering the Green Lantern joke in Deadpool 2. And I'm like, I don't, he might be able to pull off one more, but then after that, it's... I don't know. It it's, it needs to get to like I think they need more Deadpool content, and then he'll have a, a more free reign for that. Like I think you can only like do it in trailers and little one one shot like five minute things so many times. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I laughed during the whole thing. <laughs> it did feel I, like I Take co- Waititi was half asleep, but that's probably the way Korg is when he's playing video games or watching TV, so it fit. (laughs) Yeah, he's never really uh, energetic personality. Not in that, no. (laughs) Um, As Hitler, loads of charisma. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I uh, actually wish they would have, like, a series of them doing, like, uh, react videos. Like, I kind of want to see them review Cruella, like. I have a feeling that Disney would never let that particular thing happen. No. But I could see this being a thing that they do again. But it's hard to say, like, take IYTD, I think. He's a busy man. He also does what he wants at this point. Like, he is one of the hottest commodities in Hollywood right now. Like, he's got a hit show, just won an Oscar. It has one of the most popular Marvel movies. He's doing a Star Wars movie. There's nobody with more heat than Take IYTD right now. Shared a three-way <laughs> kiss with Tessa Thompson and another lady. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. what you get to do when you're the hottest commodity in Hollywood. Doesn't matter if you're, like, really goofy looking. But he's got that sexy New Zealand accent. Is it sexy, though? <laughs> like, sure. I'm sure there's lots of people that find that sexy. Like other New Zealanders? <laughs> I mean, people have a thing for uh, Jermaine and Brett, so. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> and there is a lot of people that really find Taika attractive. When we talk about Fly of the Concords, I guess I could see Brett because he is, 
I would say he's classically handsome, but Jermaine, really? <laughs> like, that Brett's, dude is just weird looking. Brett's got it going on. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, Brett, you got it going Even on. Even though he's a weedy, shy guy. Uh, <laughs> if you've seen Jermaine Clement on Legion, though, with his- I have. That big beard, the silver salt and pepper, dude, he is a daddy. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. So if somebody's looking for who's their daddy, it, the answer could be Jermaine Clements. It could be. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of a daddy in Gentleman Broncos, too. Yeah. He's a bad daddy in that he one. He is a, a bad, bad daddy. Did it make you want to watch Free Guy more? No, but I've already was like, this is something I want to watch anyway. So I have to say it's in the zone of like, if there's nothing better, then I'll probably go to it. You know what I mean? Like, if there's nothing I want to see more in the theater, then I'll go to it. But it, it hasn't earned, I'll automatically go. I'm not really there with Ryan Reynolds, I'll be honest. Okay. I, I haven't made that yeah. a secret, but I think he's great as Deadpool. I'm not super impressed on other things, but this does look interesting to me. It looks like it could be funny. But I also worry that it's like a paycheck for Take IYTD because they put him in the trailer and he doesn't really do anything funny in it. He's the villain. Uh-huh. So I don't know what – and I – you know, it's hard to put villains in trailers without spoiling stuff. It can be, yeah. Yeah, so – But to, from a selling standpoint, I'm not quite sold yet. I'm sold enough <sighs> where, you know, if it's not the weekend, that other stuff drops. Like I would see Suicide Squad no matter what. I'm going to go see the Suicide Squad. So that has sold me just in that like it's a big comic book movie, so I'm going to talk about it no matter what. And James Gunn has earned my ticket. At yeah. this point. Yeah. I don't assume it's going to be great, but like I'll always give it a chance because James Gunn always takes wild swings, even in his days where he was with Trauma Team and stuff like that. So I'm one of the few people who's seen Brightburn, for example. It's fucking great. <laughs> he didn't direct that. <laughs> he produced it and it's in the world that Rain Slither. Wilson movie is Super? in. Nope. Oh. Super, yeah. Uh. Because they drop that character at the end of it. And there's very clearly being like a dark Justice League that's being formed in Brightburn at the very end. And so it kind of sets up like, is Rain Wilson's character going to go after him? Because he'll get fucking murdered if he does, dude. He couldn't even handle like regular thugs hardly. <laughs> I can't imagine he's going to handle like a Superman analog and a Wonder Woman analog yeah. and a Batman analog. So that seems scary to me. <laughs> How long is for this bad super bubble burst? Because there is so many like bad supers shows, and I think we aren't going to see another one for a while. I think we hit. They're gonna know. They know to not go much farther. I think that uh, if you count Jupiter's Legacy as one of those, which I don't think you should, but people might. That was a step too far because nobody watched it. Yeah. And but, I, uh, I think the fact that it's ongoing with two TV series as well that are popular. It's, yeah. It's, the market's pretty saturated. Yeah. And the thing is that The Boys and Invincible are both super, super good. Like you would be competing with some real big dogs trying to put a show like that on the market right now. Okay, so every genre, when it becomes the most popular genre in movies historically, hits a deconstructive phase. Yeah. And that's usually towards the end of the genre being the dominant genre. And we are far and away in the deconstructive phase of superheroes right now. Now, is that going to hold and it's no longer the top genre? I think eventually that's going to happen, but I think we're in that phase right now. And part of that is deconstructing your heroes and being like, well, what separates them from villains? Maybe focus on that. That's kind of like it's that little subsection right there because we saw that in Westerns too, right? Well, the craziest yeah. thing about that is there's an extra layer to it because these are all adaptations of comics that went through this whole process of exploration and deconstruction already. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Because – and look so at what happened. So this is since... a reconstruction of a deconstruction. <laughs> and look at what happened with comics around that time. Like the comic bubble had burst and that's when you saw all of those deconstructive 
comics coming out was like the shit had just blown up and it was ceasing to be as popular. And so then you hit that phase that kind of gives it a, enough of a shot in the arm to continue. But comics are weird because well, they, you know they haven't really bounced back from where they were, but they're more in the consciousness of the average person because of the other media, the movies, the shows. Like we're starting to see adaptations of properties that at their time were like the new exploratory comics themselves, like uh, Sandman particularly is coming. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't call Sandman a deconstruction of anything, superheroes. No. I would call that like a like a deconstruction of like mythology itself. <laughs> Yeah, and I think and, and I was talking specifically about like superhero comics, not comics in general, even though I did say comics generally. But what I'm like I'm saying that Sandman was largely an answer to superhero comics, like a a reply saying, "Hey, we can tell these really deep stories and we can use superheroes cuz he he like dips for one single tiny issue, he dips into the DC well and you know tells a a great story, but that's he doesn't touch it from then on this is a good analog for what's going on in movies right now too because when you look at that piece of comic history like comics were never more popular than in the 90s like they were just getting more and more popular and then you get works like watchmen at the beginning of that and then you get sandman and just all these things like a lot of image comics and things like that that are deconstructing it as it's the most popular art or form. reinventing it after the deconstruction. In some cases, yes. But then it dies off for a while, right? And, and they've never really rebounded. Like, the I've, comics aren't even in the place they were in in, like, the 80s, the 70s, you know? Hmm. But comics tend to go in waves, too. They tend to be very, very popular and then start to die off. And then they slowly rebuild over a couple decades and then they get back. So we'll see if that holds. But Maybe as a mainstream thing. I think that we've moved into a new phase of how we embrace culture to where we are much more niche oriented and independent comic content creators like comics writers can thrive much easier in a world like this where they can use say patreon to just establish a core following of you know a few hundred people that then <laughs> pay their bills for them so that they can make comics you know and it's that's a real thing yeah and yeah. There may not be comics being printed in the numbers that they used to in their heyday, but I would argue that the variety of comics has like far outpaced. There are more different comics available today than there ever have been before. More comics available to different races, genders, ages. Every demographic has more representation than they ever have had before. And it's we're still definitely not there yet. I'd say we're we've reached what like ninety percent white male <laughs> targeted stuff. Which, well, but we've come so far. I mean, like <laughs> I would say maybe ten, twenty years ago we were at you know two percent. So to go from two percent to ten percent is actually a pretty in such a short amount of time. And I do know. think Marvel has been particularly good about working on diversity in their comics there's like a marvel 616 episode on disney plus that was pretty interesting where they're just showing all the people from around, around the world and you realize like they have artists and writers in every country in the world now and there's all these comics that like that dinosaur one that the one with the little girl and the dinosaur like have no interest in picking it up like kind of looked at it a little bit and then you realize it's one of their most popular titles but not here yeah. Like around the world, they have stuff that just hasn't really caught on so much here, but we're only seeing a piece of it because it's this global thing that's going on. I think all of this is to say, like, it was a good reaction video for Free Guy, right? <laughs> is that what we were talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let me move on to some other news. Uh, Kate Heron, who wrote and directed all the episodes of Loki, announced that she's not going to be returning for season two of Loki. We'll see. She didn't even know that there was going to be a season two until they told her. But she's just like, I said what I had to say. Like, right. she didn't rule out working with Marvel again. She said it was a really good experience and she loved to do it again. But she kind of feels like she tapped out on the whole Loki thing. So I would say if this is true, good on her for knowing when to step away. Like, you don't want people who have stale ideas like 
Marvel is all about handing off to the next person yeah. a lot of the time. So yeah. whether it be movies or comics. So um, it, like if you feel like you have nothing else to say, don't get trapped by this success and make inferior things, you know. But there is a part of me. And when you said that, I think you keyed into something that I was feeling, which is like this could just be a play to get more money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Or uh, a lot of times what happens is – you know, they're not confirmed for a season two. I mean, she's going to be looking for work or if she doesn't. And so they have other stuff lined up. And so, you know, just doesn't have the time to obligate towards the second season of Loki personally. And I don't know. I absolutely we honestly do, don't, we don't know, know any. We yeah. don't know any. Because if they have a production specifics. schedule for it, they haven't announced it. I'll yeah. say that. But I suspect they don't have it keyed out because – it sounds like that title card they put up was just seeing how successful it was received and well, how many No, I think that they planned on it being it ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, but it ends on a cliffhanger that's setting up movies too. Like this is I, I guess we're going to say spoiler for episode 6. Once again, dude, we're just going to spoil everything we talk about, <laughs> but uh it's setting up this phase i feel like right, right? like it's giving you but the it big, also bad phase. definitely was a cliffhanger for loki's story personally as well the way that marvel works that doesn't mean the they season was wrapped going to up resolve it somewhere the season was definitely wrapped up yeah loki's fate hangs in the balance like yeah. what's happening is very he was dropped into a confusing situation that he has to unravel what do you think that is like that situation that he's dropped into i think it's what judge renslayer did when she went through her time gate after she talked to Mobius, you think I think she went to the or the establishment because the thing is is like the establishment of she went to the origin of the TVA. Mm -hmm. That's not the origin of the guy who formed the TVA. He so, who remains? No, Kang. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it was definitely Kang. It was he who remains, <laughs> and that, conqueror. That's definitely Kang. Of in a form, yes. You already explained this, Carl. I know you're just trolling me. <laughs> um, Go back and listen to a couple episodes. Carl did a really good breakdown of King. You did a really good job breaking down all his different forms and how they have to fight him. And things there like were that. a few that I didn't know about that I left out, but they're not super important. They're like you really the weird. Strokes. And there's also a like, few. I was proud of you because you were like hitting the stuff that everybody hit a week or two after we talked about it. So good job on that, man. You <laughs> fucking killed it. Yeah. There's a few characters in the MCU that are. Uh, theorized to be a variant of Kang, but there's no actual evidence because a lot of the characters that are Kang now were retconned into being Kang. Right. So, so where does Mephisto fit? Mephisto is a completely separate character. It has <laughs> nothing to do with Kang. It's not Mephisto, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> it's never Mephisto. It's except, all Mephisto. Except in the Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider movies. <laughs> then it really is. Mephisto. And then it's Mephisto in the first one. And Mephisto is played by uh, that dude from uh, Easy Riders. Peter Fonda? Peter yeah, Fonda one. is really? Mephisto. Yeah. I, dude, I cannot remember the first Ghost Rider movie at all. I know I saw it like multiple times. It, it I just can't remember it. I the, never watched the second one. I heard it was funny in no, like the a second very terrible one, way. The but. second one is worth watching because it's directed by the guys that made the Crank movies. Right, yeah. Yeah, and Nicolas Cage is off the fucking leash in that movie. <laughs> it's amazing. Like as a missed opportunity, you should have said chain because he's literally like got a chain hanging around his neck. Right? <laughs> he has a he has a fiery chain that he uses, kind of like a whip. Yeah, Boom. and then it hangs around. It's a metal chain, and he uses like times. a whip. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> it's not gonna like whoopish, whoopa, as Chandler Bing would say. Because he can't make the whip sound. Going back, that moment when everything's changed and we're looking at the TVA and then uh, Mobius it doesn't, doesn't even know who him. he is. I think he's in a different timeline. No, I agree. But the timeline was changed because Renslayer went back and changed the origin of the TVA. Right. It's no but, longer the timekeepers. It's Kang openly running the TVA. But what I'm trying to say is I think that there's still a timeline where that happened 
it's just like somehow Loki wound up in this other timeline. That's my theory. I think that's going to come back into play later. You make these decisions. Well, this is the other. Here's the thing, though. The TVA exists kind of outside of time. So I think the TVA itself is affected by Back to the Future rules. Because Interesting. there's... <laughs> Unless well, but there's, it's, but it's like the Back to the Future for the TVA. Unless like. there is a TVA for every universe, but that wouldn't make sense because the TVA was pruning alternate. They were multiversal and if, they were well, pruning. Well, if you don't have he who remains in charge of it, then if the TVA winds up being built anyway. It would absolutely be a split into oh, other timelines. Here's another question. So I guess we're just into the final episode. Oh, yeah. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was brought up on the Weekly Planet guys. They're pretty great. Yeah. Um, they asked, uh, was the multiverse actually non-existent or was this timeline just like cut off from it? So, All those other universes still existed, but they didn't have access to this timeline, the sacred timeline. My understanding, and we've debated this, but I still think I'm right, is there's multiple timelines that are going that are approved. They're like snipping off stuff before it shoots off in a direction that he doesn't want. So like when the Avengers are going back and doing things to get the Infinity Gauntlet. There's like multiple branches that are approved and still going. I think that's why it's like a trunk. It's like the timelines that he wants that make up. No, I disagree. I know you do. We've already legislated this, but I think that answers your question in a way that you don't like the answer. No, (laughs) I don't think that answers my question at all. Because my question is, did the other, do these other Kangs, these variant Kangs that have their own timelines, did they exist before He Who Remains was killed? And the timelines are just now allowed to connect to each other? Or was there only the one sacred timeline? I mean, the thing that's complicated about it is that those timelines could be the beginning of time or at the end of time. Right. They're growing out in all directions. So, like, once that branch grows out, then it was always there. He, yeah. He's, which is like. Yeah. <laughs> he's pruning He's pruning this stuff so that those Kangs aren't able to. To bridge ascend. the gap. Yeah. Or to reach us across to make the connection. But they were in their own time. Like, now, I imagine that he has shaped it so that they don't even a chance to be able to affect any change. So I think he probably just straight up has them murdered before think, they get a chance to even. Yeah, I time. think that. See, I think that I there think they is, didn't exist and now they do. Yes, I think that that's and, probably the case. And I do want to get back to something in this plot. So like, first off, Jonathan Majors, amazing in this. Like he was yes. so good, dude. Loved him in Lovecraft Country. Like mm-hmm. love him in this. And he is definitely showing his range here because what good, he's doing he's as Kang it. is completely different from what he was doing on Lovecraft Country, to be fair. He was a good character, kind of bland. But that's... He's the hero in it. It's very often that the hero is very bland. Yeah. In a... Like, he was playing his part to perfection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was great. Yeah. Um, A lot of stoicism, though. And in this, he's, like, playful and, like, impish. And he reminds me of Puck a little bit from, like... uh, Twelfth Night. A lot of interesting influences from all over the place for this character. He's great. Uh, love that the internet really seized on, like, he's controlled all these things. And the apple he chooses to eat is, like, a green apple. Like, gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inferior apple. <laughs> Some people like it. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. That just shows you how twisted he is. But I like that he gives them a false choice in a way in this because clearly he wanted to die. I think from the very beginning, he wanted them to kill him once he was at that point. I think that like Ms. Minutes was there to like try and dissuade them. But when they weren't going to take the bait, he was like, okay, the only thing that's going to work is for them to kill me off. And then whatever plan I have seated in time, like I'll be able to beat them with that. And so I think that was like his last ditch effort. So he's giving him this choice of like, you can run it or you can kill me. But like, there's other choices. You know what I mean? Like you could figure out a way to imprison him. Or just walk away. Or walk away. Or walk away. Yeah. Like there's there's other choices. He makes it like they only have choice A or choice B. And then you examine it further. And he actually wants them to kill him the entire time because he's seeding distrust in Sylvia. 
media with Loki, right? Like, interesting that you would think that I was lying about something. Like, do you really trust this guy? He's, like, saying things like that, right? He's constantly addressing Sylvie and, like, trying to reduce Loki and make him seem like he's lesser, like it's her choice, because he knows what her choice is going to be. Like, from the very beginning, her life got completely fucked by him, and so she wants revenge. So he's focused on that. It's really smart, and it's kind of what tyrants do, too. They make things so that, like, if you try and remove them, it makes it worse. Saddam Hussein, I think, is a good example. Yeah, <laughs> Like, in the 90s, so after we had stopped short of and You're talking about Hussein, us putting him in play. No, I'm we talking, put him in I'm, play to start with. Like, that's what I'm but, saying. Okay, yeah. But I'm not even talking. That's not yeah. what I'm talking about. What I'm talking we, about is like after <clears throat> we went to Saudi Arabia and then we wound up like stopping short of going into Iraq in the first Persian Gulf War, Saddam Hussein was getting bombed, right? Like they were bombing certain things. And so he had them attached to hospitals and schools and all of this thing. And so it was very, very clearly like, go ahead and remove me. You're going to completely fuck the infrastructure of, of the whole country if you do this and that's what dictators do over and over again they make it so that it seems like it's going to be so chaotic to remove them that you can't remove them and that's kind of what king is doing he's given this choice that like but i think he also was being honest that he was just tired as well because i mean if you weren't done why would you live in this like empty dusty castle that's just dust like everything's dusty he doesn't even have like miss minutes Dusting. I mean, she's just a computer projection, but still, he has these powers, he has this ability, and he just become a total recluse. I guess he's also completely alone at the end of time, but... Yeah. <clears throat> I do feel like he was kind of tired of it, but at the same time, I think it was more that, like, this is a way that he gets to maintain power. It's by People dying. People don't like giving up power. Yeah. They just don't. And he's like, better, I'll give you this false choice, and then you'll kill me, and then my variants will, like regain power yeah. invariably because that's and what we do who knows he could have been working for a different variant like i we just don't he could understand be the pawn what, of another king yeah we just don't know what his how many kings machinations go king it's like fathoms but it's kings it's like a times it's like Depth into the time ocean. I just know Kangs. if you go the Kang behind the Kang behind the Kang, there might be a Mephisto. <laughs> All right. We're going to retire that joke <laughs> in a couple episodes. <laughs> well, until we get the next uh, Marvel thing. Yeah. Until Mephisto actually shows the fuck up and then we can't do it anymore. Uh, yeah. If Mephisto shows up, then it's no fun anymore. Of course, I've never actually participated. <laughs> You were here, Carl. You're a participant. Unwilling. <laughs> Under duress. Yes. yes. An unwilling participant. I think that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else was in that episode. I feel like it all hinged on that castle scene so much. I, mean, I think was, Mobius was having it a was conversation like with... the most exposition in... The, any of the episodes it yeah. was a lot of kang explaining i mean isn't that all was. the episodes though? oh uh, it's a lot of like two people talking so another out you know we learned the origin of which is like nathaniel richards in the 31st century develops a time machine right and nathaniel richards may or may not be a descendant of reed richards yeah in and the comics he is yeah well in the comics it changes but he is yeah. You're right. And uh, in the show, Kang is black, so it's reasonable now to cast a black person as Reed Richards, which I think would be fantastic because I want all the people that are, want John Krasinski to be Reed Richards. I want them to shut up because <laughs> I'm fine. I don't have a problem with John Krasinski, but I'm not a big office fan. So I don't have that going for me to push me, to hype me into wanting to see him in the MCU. I, and I, I would like... love to, I would love to see a black Reed Richards is what I'm saying. I want Reed Richards to be black. I think that's a great idea. I Gender feel like whatever they're going to do with Reed Richards, I just, I haven't seen it yet. 
and I'll, I'm anxious to see what they do. I feel like when the MCU actually sets forth to make the Fantastic Four, they're going to far and away do make the best Make them all version. black. I Sure. If that it would works, be awesome. I don't care. If it that works. That would be awesome. They can, how easy would it be? How e- And Beyonce is Sue Storm. No, that's a terrible casting. No, I, that's like, uh. <laughs> Halle Berry. She was already Storm. She could be Sue Storm and Storm. That would be fun. <laughs> I think she would do a better job now with a different director. As Storm? As Sue Storm. You I know think she would do a weird. better job. Can we talk about some of the possibilities this opens up by opening up the timeline? And I'm not even talking Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, uh, Ant-Man, which we've talked about endlessly. We could get an actual Well, there's definitely Latvia. no mutants in the MCU yet. And definitely not it, that it guy that so claims it. to be... It so opens Ursa it for major. mutants, though. Like, oh, no, no, absolutely. Have, that, yeah. Not just when you have alternate timelines. We timelines, will but, see them in the future. We haven't like, seen them yet. Ralph Boner? Maybe there's an alternate reality where he actually is Wanda Maximoff's twin brother. What if there's something where Agatha casts a spell and like somehow makes them connected somehow? You could have the alternate reality where like... He actually is the brother and reintroduces him as Quicksilver. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's just like a possibility. Like you can pull out X-Men characters, which they teased in WandaVision. You can actually do that if you're happy with them now. Like they have the option now. Do you know what I mean? Like if you like the characters from first class, you can bring them in and not even change the casting if you want. They may even have some of them under contract. He wasn't playing his X-Men character though. No, no, he wasn't. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? Like now with this multiverse, you can say that that X-Men world. It's and- just another multiverse. Yeah. I think it would be a bad idea to try to tie previously existing IPs into this one. So I think- you mean what they're doing for Spider-Man 3? No, that's – well, that's different because Spider-Man itself has just been rebooted so more than any others. Yeah, but I mean, they are doing that. They're they're doing yeah, it as, right. a pre-existing franchise. And it also helps that like all three of the Spider-Mans have such distinct flavors. They really like, are. Yeah, the Raimi Spider-Man is a very specific Spider-Man, and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man is a very, very generic bitchy. Spider-Man. <laughs> he's he's a little bitch, dude. The, let's the be only honest. thing that I like about the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies is that. Emma Stone. Emma Stone is in them, yeah. and that's why I won't. Wa- I don't want to watch her die, so I'm not going to watch the second one. Plus, I don't have a compelling I reason for hate, you to watch the second no, one. <laughs> I hate the fact that when um, that they gave what's his name uh, uh, the villain, Electro, oh uh, Jamie Fox, Jamie Fox, they gave him a gap tooth. Oh, that and character then is all when kinds he of becomes bad. a super villain when he transforms, it goes away. Like. Why? Why give it to him in the first place then? What a weird decision. It's just a weird decision to make of like, we're going to give him this flaw, right? This perceived flaw. And, you know, maybe I'm extra sensitive to it because I once made fun of uh, Paul Shear's gap tooth. I compared <laughs> him to Nosferatu. Uh, there was like a, a, and I did it to him kind of. Like it was fucked up. Not kind of. It was on Twitter. If he saw it, and it was a poster of the league, and I was like, "This is a cool league poster, but what's Nosferatu doing with every with like you know?" And it's like, what a rude. I I feel bad about it. I wish I could apply. He probably didn't even see it. No, most likely. But and now, still, you're, now you are increasing the likelihood. I still that want to apologize to him about. for it. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not increasing awareness. It's like, hey, check out this funny joke I told. It's more like I'm but kind of inviting in a way, shame. You actually are increasing the odds. Like, even if it's like, nah, it's it's not a good joke. Um, like so, a million to one. It's like nine hundred ninety-five thousand. To one, yeah, like, that's, it's that's my point. You are fit, you are actually increasing the odds by but having it's it on still the podcast. Like, it's more likely, yeah, know. yeah. But it comes with this baked-in apology that I feel like I owe him, anyways. If he hears this and didn't see the thread, he'll be like, oh, and like feel it in his stomach, and then hear the apology. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, I'm sorry, I did this thing. Like while you're hurting him, I to be clear, I don't think it would really hurt his feelings. I think so much of his comedy comes from making fun of his own looks or him being a nerd yeah i think he can take a i think he can take a roast yeah but the thing
thing is, is that that is a very fucking weird thing to do with somebody that you don't actually know. It's like the nature of these like parasocial relationships that we form with celebrities because of social media. Like we become overly familiar with them. We act like they owe us stuff. You know, people are like, I demand you release these episodes of Rick and Morty or like restore hashtag trending right now on Twitter. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse. We demand. Is that still trending? It's well, it's currently trending. God so damn it, it, ebbs, it, it waxes and wanes, you know, yeah. ebbs and flows. And, you know, they're saying we want a Batman Ben Affleck Batman movie like we de- they're demanding it, you know, and it's because of these relationships that we form in our heads with these people, you know, it, the, what gives anybody the right to not just to like ask questions about James Gunn's new movie, but to like, say, take a certain tone, like somebody, somebody tweeted at him and said, why the fuck isn't the Joker in your Suicide Squad movie? You know, and it's like, it's fine to ask a question, but why do you got to phrase it like that? Oh, yeah. uh, you know, why you got to be a piece of shit about it? And then he just replied because he doesn't fucking serve the fucking story. And because <laughs> like um, off a slightly different topic. So I was looking at the Instagram post that I put up for our show last week. Casablanca off the charts, the most popular thing. It's what everybody wanted to talk about in the comments people like fucking love Casablanca oh, you motherfuckers <laughs> I'm just I'm telling you the truth it was like three different people were like one was like Casablanca with a bunch of like heart emojis and then another was like I love Casablanca and then the third was like I haven't watched that since college it's time people to dust not it listening up to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you people or they are listening to you and you're like I bet this Carl's wrong <laughs> I didn't say it was bad I was just complaining about stuff that becomes the measuring stick. No, I get it. I just no. like I just wanted to point out it is funny because sometimes I lose sight of like I always try and come up with the big thing of the moment to talk about, and then you find out it's like not did the you thing that Casablanca? you thought everybody would be excited about. It's like Casablanca. Did you put Casablanca in the description? Yeah. yeah. I, I try and I try People and write down listening. anything that we talk about to any length in the show. I try and like include in the description. Now I've been going a lot longer than I used to on the description. So because who knows what people are going to care about? That one was Casablanca. Never would have fucking imagined. Like honest <laughs> well, to God. You know, yeah. I guess there's Casablanca. Then there's like Shakespeare, who every story he wrote was 100 percent original. So Man, that was, that was that another guy, comment. I don't I know what you're talking about. That guy wrote all uh, his own stuff all the time. Didn't copy anybody. So my mom listened to the podcast and she wanted to point out that Shakespeare was known for ripping off a lot of people. But he was just far and away much better than the rest of them were at, at prose. So that's why he's remembered and everybody else was forgotten that he stole from. Yeah. He he had the best flow. I guess. Yeah. He was the eight mile of his time. He had the variant of flow from progressive. He had the that hustle. Was dominant. Flow the conqueror. He had the, <laughs> du- he had the hustle and flow. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what you got for us, Brandon? This week in battle, we're going, I'm going to play, pay tribute to the late Dick Donner who passed away a few weeks ago. I have a eight movie bracket on which the best Richard Donner movie. Now, I put a couple of uh, couches in this because, like, I mean, he's known for the Lethal Weapon series. Like, yeah. there's just the first Lethal Weapon movies on this list. I don't have, like, one, two, three, and four sprinkled but throughout. he's also the one that made all the big decisions in yeah. that entire franchise, too. Like, did I mean, he make, did he direct four? No, he directed the first one and he was the executive producer. Like his okay. company made those movies. So like Lethal Weapon 2, there's a famous yeah, story say, that Shane Black wrote Lethal Weapon 2. And then like Dick Donner almost went forward with it. Like they were just, a, they were scouting and all this stuff. And he was just like, you know what, whatever happened in that script, like he just didn't think it quite worked. And so they majorly changed it. And the Shane Black version is out there on the internet somewhere. I'm sure it involves a little kid. <laughs> and they got some sassy banter. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely sassy banner in Lethal Weapon 2, though. Make no mistake. <laughs> Damn it, I can't read that. I think that their banter gets sassier the older they get. Yeah, the closer... I think that's why 4 is my favorite one. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. 
the way I seeded these was actually how much money they made compared to their budget. So there's eight of them? Yeah. So okay. his most successful movies is yeah. what you're saying, at least like financially. Yeah. Okay. Let's um, start at the bottom then. So start at the bottom. Number eight was Lady Hawk. I love Lady Hawk. Never saw it. So it's basically Matthew Broderick, and he's playing a thief like you would picture a thief in a D&D movie. Michelle Pfeiffer is this woman by day, and then she turns the into rises, a hawk. She turns into a hawk, and then Rudger Howard is like... The BBEG. He's like the fighter who's... Oh, I thought he was a bad guy. Don't you dare use I, he's that. Kinda, he's kind of... He's like a mercenary, right? Like, at the beginning, he seems like a bad guy, but then he throws in with Matthew Broderick and helps win the day. I mean, it's an early 80s movie, so if you couch it with early that... Early 80s fantasy, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty good for an early 80s fantasy. So what is it? doesn't hold a candle to anything now. It actually lost quite a bit of money. And like, it's kind of... it's As a fantasy, it's like a period piece type thing? Like, it's medieval... Esque. It's yeah, it, it's, yeah. It takes place in like medieval times, okay, for sure. It's a medieval setting, but it's not like it's, it's like not medieval Earth. historical. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely fantasy because it's like Michelle Pfeiffer has a curse on her. Okay, so yeah. What's that up against? That is up against Superman. Oh man, I gotta go, Superman. I, I love <laughs> Superman. I know it hasn't aged super well, but I yeah. just it was the first superhero movie that really just went. Superman's balls out. number seven. Superman's number one. Oh, Lady Hawk's yeah, number that, eight. Superman was one of the most successful movies of the seventies. Like it was. Yeah, huge. that's what I thought. So Lady yeah. Hawk was just doomed. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. I wanted to vote for so it. So it actually you can just barely. It. Made... I feel it feels wrong <laughs> against <laughs> Superman. <laughs> it's Superman, dude. It's like he defined Superman for a whole generation of people. Yeah. So. It still is, when I picture Superman in live action form, I, I picture Christopher Reeve for sure. Yeah. So, number seven, we have The Toy. Oh my God, he did that one? Yeah. With Richard Pryor? With Richard Pryor. That movie has not aged super oh, it, well. It, okay. it was problematic from the get-go. So, it's, like, it's Richard Pryor is this man who's kind of down on his luck doing shitty jobs, and then he's in a toy store, and he's dressed as... Spider-Man, and he's playing with this Wonder Wheel. It's this big, like, inflatable wheel thing. And then this little rich kid sees him and then decides that he wants to buy Richard Pryor. Like, he wants him as his toy. And so it's really talking about, Knowing like, that he is a human being? Yep. 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 No, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. dude, it's the point of it. It's, like, very ham-handed talking about race, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it is talking about it in a negative way. but And Richard Pryor eventually, through dealing with the kid, the kid realizes that he's... Um, a racist? <laughs> no. No, because it's like an eight-year-old kid. You know what I mean? No, but he, so he realizes all... Th- he realizes yes, his parents yes, are he racist. he realizes yeah. that the world he's in is fucked up and like goes in with him and his dad is also in with the Ku Klux Klan like he is using politics and fusing it with the Ku Klux Klan for influence so like it's definitely talking about race or uh Gleason, Paul Gleason, <coughs> Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason yeah. yeah, from the Honeymooners. Well, this sounds like it has aged well, based on what you're describing. No, no. because when you actually watch it, they're dropping n words, they're making spear chucker jokes. They're like, it's... but if they're if it's if it's pointed, if there's a point to it, then I understand I, what you're saying. Yeah, but I would it, say if you watch it, you'd be like. It's like a little too gratuitous. It's hard is in the right place, but like it's reinforcing really bad stereotypes throughout yeah, the whole thing. Fair enough. It's like very clearly a white guy probably wrote it and like a white guy probably produced it. And we know a white guy directed it. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. one of those. Yeah. Um, also, have love for this movie, even though I know it's wrong. Like I, I grew up with that movie. I do yeah. love it. Never saw it. So uh, up against the toy is uh, number two is Maverick. Maverick oh, dude, Maverick. Wins. Maverick's so fucking good. Yeah. Maverick's William really Goldman, uh, Western based off of the TV show from the 60s. Um, just very funny. Sharp ass dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Everybody is like playing coy with each other and flirting. And it's like Mel Gibson that is most charming. And Jodie Foster is also equally charming yeah i think also at her most charming honestly and uh boy they have chemistry on in that movie and 
What's they great? look like they're gonna fuck on screen a lot, and they, and they don't never even, do because they, they're always one upping each yeah, other. Yeah, and it's so great. It, she winds up outsmarting him at the end, doesn't he? Well, sort of, like half outsmarting. I can't him. remember who comes out on top, but I also I love, feel like it's I one of those things like nobody really won. They kind of both come out half on top, yeah. and also the fact that he has to then chase after her. Yes, is I think part that's part of, of the, the charm appeal. Yeah. yeah. And I love that James Garner and another spoiler, which you should watch this movie. Maybe scan ahead 45 seconds if you haven't seen it because it's it's is real fucking good. But yeah, James Garner, who's the villain throughout the thing, turns out to be his in dad. On the whole which thing. is fucking – there's like meta levels to that because in the show for Maverick – which I had to watch a lot because my grandparents always had it on. James Garner was the younger Maverick, and he had a father who was a con man. And so when you find that out, it's like another level because James Garner is not only playing the elder, like, con man one. He's playing the original Maverick. Yeah. So, Dude, like, it's just like... like that's it was William such a Goldman great for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what a great screenwriter can get you for yep. sure. Yeah. Yeah, Maverick. Maverick's yep. got to move. So Maverick versus Superman in that, or is that on different sides of the bracket? They're on different sides of the okay. bracket. So number six, we have The Omen. That's good. That's yeah. a good one. Versus number three, The Goonies. I'm going to go The Omen, and yeah, I'm not even going to think twice. I know people love The Goonies. I love it, too, because I grew up with it, but it's not a particularly great movie. It's just – it's kid- definitely well-known, remembered, Yeah. I guess. It's, it's like a great movie if you're a kid. It's a perfect movie if you're a kid, but it doesn't quite hit the Spielberg zone where it's like when you're an adult, you can watch it and find themes that still resonate with you. It's not really there in The Goonies. It's I just have like zero a fun... connection to The Goonies. Yeah. I don't either. I've never watched it. I've watched half of it. And like God physically does not want me to watch The Goonies. Yeah. It literally was like middle of a lightning storm like last time I watched it. So like, <laughs> no, I'm just never going to watch it. <laughs> and the omen is super fucked up yeah, and I love how is. fucked up it is because it's just like this kid is the devil and the father realizes at a certain point I have to kill my kid and he doesn't want to and it's eating him up inside oh what a great movie dude or like the girl walking up to the window and be like at the middle of his birthday party and going Damien this is for you and then leaps out the window onto like a fucking steeple and like impales herself fucked up movie I love it dude <laughs> it's so good it looks like uh... Alex has unresolved issues about murdering his children. (laughs) (laughs) Not resolved yet, Carl. Not yet. That's what I said. Unresolved. (laughs) So first round matchup is uh, number five is Scrooged. Okay. Versus number four, Lethal Weapon. All All right. right. Scrooged is the uh, retelling of Christmas Christmas Carol with Bill Murray. And we're putting that up against buddy cop movie with uh, that guy from Predator 2. Danny Glover. And that guy from the movie about the Scotsman's Maverick. (laughs) (laughs) I am going with the first one. The Scrooged? Yeah, I I love Bill Murray. That's not even a good Bill Murray movie. No, that's the thing. I really like Scrooged. And as a counterpoint to Christmas time. I love it because it is one that I can watch with my wife and make her happy because she goes into like the full on Christmas thing. It's like Christmas everything. So it's one of the ones I can reliably watch and have fun. But I don't think it's as good as most people do. I think I'm lower on that. No, I this is where I'm coming from. Okay, I don't think Scrooged is a good Bill Murray movie. I think when on the spectrum of Bill Murray movies, it's fairly low. On the quality yeah, no, I yeah. Think spectrum. I, I understood what you're saying. I, but I think we're lockstep there. We Lethal Weapon just doesn't need to exist. There are so many action franchises in the universe. And there I, are so many other better ones that when the aliens come and land on Earth and they say, show us your best action franchises, you're not reaching for Lethal Weapon. You're just not. I would counter that with a lot of those action franchises don't exist without Lethal Weapon. But that's fine. And they still do it better. I, they I all improved it. on the formula. I love it. And it's another Christmas movie I can kind of get the away other with. Guys. So we got the two Christmas movies <laughs> going up against each other. I would watch any Shane Black movie over Lethal Weapon. And I wish that that The Predator? One... No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that was amazing. Maybe. One shot. I, I actually haven't watched The Predator, so I don't know for sure on that. But 
that doesn't even fit the formula that of a good Shane Black movie. If you're doing a good Shane Black movie, you need there are certain elements that have to be there, and those are some of those are missing from the Predator. I'm going to own Lethal Weapon. I love Lethal Weapon. Scrooge. Unabashedly. Come on, love. Brandon, right. get it right. So, don't love Maverick in it, but I do love the movie. <laughs> it's n- it's a- well, I love Maverick in it. I don't like the real life Maverick. You know who he is. Don't kill. So, the- I, this was this. He's really- not really a zombie. Don't murder him. <laughs> this is really hard because, like, it's probably an interesting Lethal Weapon movie, but it's not my favorite. Well, it's, two is my favorite. Two is my two favorite. Is great. Four. Yeah, we hashed that out the other day. <laughs> yeah, uh, said so not on the board. I like but... four. Chris Rock's at four. Four is, Jet four is interesting four. because they, I think they're all they're they, all good. They I have just, like a, Danny Glover writes romance whole, uh, novels. Um, it's good. <laughs> they're older. They're like more like they get beat up and they take a minute to get up and they're like fuck. Uh, uh, banter, 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 banter. Uh, they're both I like it because they're both getting too old for this shit it's not just like yeah. one guy being like look no, at me no you're right I forgot that's a subplot of it is that they're, Briggs is also too old for this it, shit that's yeah. what I don't like the Lethal Weapon movies but I like for because of that element did you know that is Danny that it's Glover, more of a comedy than it is an action movie yeah. it's way you know that, more of a comedy did you know that Danny Glover was playing 20 years older for Lethal Weapon right and now that's, he and then in Nuts, four, he's dude. playing his age, and yeah. Mel Gibson is playing twenty years older, but he should because he actually was twenty years old. That's what, yeah, point. he's twenty years older than what he's playing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I think that the Lethal Weapon as an action franchise is like just like a parody of itself. Like you try to parody that movie and you fail because the movie already (laughs) is just ridiculous. All right. Let me break this down. The reason why I love (laughs) Lethal Weapon more than most action movies is the same reason that I love MCU movies. They care about the character first and foremost. Everything else is in there, but it's always the characters are first up. And they care about those characters, and you is grow Renee with those Russo characters. Mel Gibson's love interest for the whole series because I thought no, his wife dies. She, so his wife dies in the first one. Yeah, they find out that the killer they were going after in the second one actually cut the brakes on her car and killed her. And the third one he gets with Renee Russo's character, and then she almost dies, and you're sure she's going to die the whole movie, like because that's just Ben Riggs's arc in this. But right. no, she survives, and then she's in the fourth one. So and she's I in love the her two. in the fourth one. One. Yeah. yeah, she's so good. At, see, but that's, the fourth that's my po- one. But that's my point is like the fourth one is based off of all of these yeah, relationships like all... that's all throughout the movie. That's why I Chris think Rock? Lethal Weapon. I think it's what it. makes it a very special franchise to me and puts it above most action franchises is they care about their character more than they care about the action sequences. And they care about the action sequences a lot. Well, I definitely give it to you that the fourth one, I wouldn't enjoy the fourth one as much as I do if it didn't have the first three to build off of. Every movie, they come up with a fun character to add, right? Like Lethal Weapon 2, you've got Joe Pesci's Leo Getz. God, he's so nice. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Yeah, and so they add him, <laughs> the third one, they add Renee Russo, the fourth one, they add Chris Rock. Like, it's like... They, and Jet Li. And Jet Li. Well, well but Jet, Jet Li is that guy. Like, yeah. And they didn't tell him that the movie was a comedy now? <laughs> so he just spends the whole movie just being like, serious, man. I am serious and smoldering and... And I will murder you. And he like kills so many people with just like one move. But then when he fights Riggs and Murtaugh, he's like, I'm just going to punch you guys for a while and give you a chance to grab me and like punch me back. And <laughs> That's one of my yeah. favorite tropes in action it's movies. Like, I is kill people immediately. You watch but... the villain. They show the villain shows their face, just murders everybody without even a hesitation. And then they get to the bad. Like it's. You know, and they're it like, is, yeah. punch. No, it's the Deadite, <laughs> the first Deadite you see in Evil, Evil Dead. in Army of Darkness, oh. where they throw the guy into the pit, and there's an, 15 seconds after they throw him in the pit, fountain of blood, of blood. <laughs> yeah. rockets up from the pit. Then they throw him down. 
And it's going to punch him a couple of times and strangle him and throw him across the room and give him lots of chances to fight back. <laughs> yeah. By the way, thank you for reminding me. Doing Army of Darkness on a Cosmic Void in a couple of weeks. Okay. Did so, but you won't get uh, me saying that because I was not on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so no, to bring it around, I'm going to actually go with Scrooge. because Yes. I read Scrooge. Was, I don't feel bad about it. I no. Yes, you do. I feel bad. Honestly, Lethal Weapon is his. He's got maybe his pouty. My second Don't favorite let him Donner. lie to you. He's got his pouty. I face think it's on. my f- second favorite Donner movie. So yeah. he's got his pouty so, face on. No third, because I forgot about Lethal Weapon. Second too. round, so we've salty. got The Omen versus Maverick. 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 All right, Maverick. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Wait, where do you weigh in on this? I'm actually going to go Maverick too. Okay, yeah. Consensus. Um, and then we got Scrooge versus Superman. 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 Yeah. yeah. So, Superman versus Maverick. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I am going to dissent on this one. You're Superman over Maverick. All right. I am going to go Superman. Like, if somebody says Superman, I immediately go to Christopher Reeves. Like, I think it's a much more important movie than Maverick in terms of movie history. That being said, I love Maverick, dude. Yeah. so there good. are – people can write entire essays on individual scenes from Superman movies, and they have. Um, <laughs> Aaron Donaldson is probably one of those people. I just watched one that Maggie Mae Fish did that I really liked. It was – and she really broke down the scene with the cat rescuing. and she with Mrs. And it oh, was, oh, where he's rescuing it was the her cat dis- the She tree. was talking about what was wrong with the Zack Snyder Superman characterization, and she was like – here is an example. So this in the scene, not only does he help the little girl, but he also takes the time to help her learn empathy because she's like blaming the cat for getting stuck in the tree. That cat always gets stuck. And he goes, well, she's just a cat. You know, like, don't blame the cat for being a cat. And when the girl goes back into the house, the mom doesn't believe her when she says, right, a man flew out of the sky. And you hear the mom physically slap the child (laughs) and i used to think that scene was really fucked up and weird until i had it explained that like this is what superman does he's breaking this cycle there is a cycle of violence here that we are being shown in this brief scene the mom beats the daughter the daughter flames the cat it's this cycle of of violence and Superman is swooping in and arresting that, not just saving the cat, but also arresting the cycle of violence at its core, which is what is like the heart of a good Superman characterization is that he at his core is like trying to help people be better and to be empathetic and to care. Right. And it's what Jarrell says to him, right? Like they're good people. Kal-El just show them the way. Yeah. So, and that's like super man that there's stuff like that. <laughs> but <Sorry. laughs> every single time, if you give me the choice of watching Superman or Maverick, I Maverick. will always pick Maverick. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> because there is, and you know, Margot Kidder is a pretty good Lois Lane, but the character of Lois Lane doesn't hold oh, a candle. It's awful. This is the thing is mm-hmm. that Richard Donner directs both movies exquisitely, but. Only one of those two was written by William Goldman. And William Goldman is a fucking, he's one of the great write, screenwriters of our of our time. Absolutely. And he is one by of picking the best. Maverick, Lethal Weapon kind of winds up on top. It does too, not because have anything to do with that. It does because there's a scene where Don't Danny Glover, I'm serious. There's a scene where Danny Glover is robbing a bank. Oh my God, I'm going to strangle you. Maverick <laughs> sees him and they look at each other. And then they go, nah. And then, like, he goes riding off and he's like, I'm too old for this shit. Well, he's going, like, it was a lethal weapon joke. So there's 100%. a lethal weapon reference. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like. I like to think it's Murtaza, great-grandpa, great-grandpa, great-grandpa Riggs. <laughs> so you're trying to say that the original Maverick TV series is also a prequel. It's all in the same world, yeah. To Lethal Weapon. <laughs> it's all in the same extended universe. You had this all planned. <laughs> the daughter extended universe. You, the knew, you leveraged your insider knowledge of Richard Donner to trick me. Somebody fed me the information. You want to know who? Who was it? Mephisto. Let's just not ever call him. Can we not ever call him uh, Dick Donner ever again? Yeah, I I always hear people say Dick Donner, including Brandon in this podcast, (laughs) and it just... 
It sounds wrong. And it says <laughs> Richard on the He's the man is dead. Show him some respect. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, unfortunately there it's like there's a lot of people whose name is Dick that go by Dick. And I don't want them to think that their name is a bad thing. Their name is fine. Your name's fine. Dick Donner's fine. I'm fine with it. I'm over it. I've We're, come you're around. You're good with Dick? I'm good with Dick Donner. <laughs> I'm down with Dick. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm not afraid. All right. So we should wrap up. I just want to say next week, I know Comic-Con's going on. We're not going to talk about Comic-Con. We're doing a pre-recorded episode, everybody, but it should be interesting. And we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, a cosmic void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.